Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm officially disavowed. Whoa. And I'm the Machine. I think. Yeah? Actually, are they disavowed? This is the first Did- movie they're not disavowed. <laughs> Can I just tell you how, I'm saying this right up front, I'm a big fan of the Mission Impossible series. I really yes. like them. Me too. But it's like every single movie is, yeah, they're being disavowed. It's like, it's coming from inside the IMF. I'm like, oh, big shock. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's literally every movie does the same thing. No, but, uh, I just realized this is the first one where, you know, in this case, Alec Baldwin's like, you know what? This is just the way that it goes. Yeah. We're just going to ride this thing out. I am going to take You've that demotion. You've never seen the upset, Kittredge. <laughs> Anyways, this is, a podcast. this is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. You just heard, we're talking about movies from the year 2018. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today... Or our ideas, anyway. Today, we're going to be watching the film Mission, colon, impossible, M-dash, fallout. Your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I wonder, did you ever choose not to? The end you always feared is coming. And the blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. I love the overcomplicated punctuation in these movies, but... (laughs) It's like Fast and Furious. They just, they're like, what do we name this? It's like, let's put seven random words together. Because what is the new one? I have to look it up. But it's like Mission Colon Impossible Dash Dead Reckoning Colon Part One or something like that. It's like weird. Uh, Anyways, big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue this show since, you know, the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus Mm. episode Mm. over there. Now, Dave. Before we get into talking about this week's film, there's actually a couple things. But the first thing, people come in, they want to know what we think about uh, Thomas Cruzen. We They want us to know, they want us to know... His birth name. Yeah, that's yeah. his name. <laughs> After all of his thetans have been you know, alleviated from uh-huh. his body. They want to hear our, our movie opinions, but they also want to hear our deep and rich fiction. A couple weeks ago... I thought we gave that up two episodes like ago. A couple weeks ago, yeah. we pushed a button to make us return back to reality... After being trapped mm. into some sort of weird VR simulation, mm-hmm, how's mm-hmm. your last couple of weeks been back in the real world? You know, uh, something's wrong because uh, I just don't feel like people are treating me the way that I expect to be treated. It's almost like I'm not the center of attention anymore. Hmm. And I don't like it. Hmm. I don't like it, Kyle. I don't like this universe. Sounds, I, uh, sounds about right to me. <laughs> but. <laughs> I I want it to be about me. Mm. I feel like that's the universe I want to be. You in. have main char- you have main character syndrome where you think everything <laughs> is about you. The whole world <laughs> is about you. What better way to live, <laughs> right? Than firmly seated in the narrative chair. I want that. Meanwhile, I am happy to be the dorky supporting character. In the, <laughs> the plucky co- comic relief. I get to just poke my head in and be like, zinger, and then I step back wah, out. Wah. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
The other thing I just wanted to talk about very quickly, there's kind of two news stories that uh, are germane to the conversation we've been having about Ooh, 2018. Germane. We don't have to spend like a huge amount of time on this, but the first one I just wanted to point out, the new Spider-Verse movie came out here a couple weeks ago. So good. Yeah, we've both so seen good. it. And uh, what is your quick review? We, uh, we were wondering, like, could this live up to what we thought Into the mm. Spider-Verse was? Is it better than Into the Spider-Verse? The hard part about that is, spoiler alert, this is not the full film. Correct. So, at, when we saw the theater, there was a lot of upset kids. Me too, yeah. In the theater I went to. <laughs> oh, come on! Yep, yep. Really? Yeah. I wish they would have communicated that maybe a little better than what they did, uh, but who knows. I, I will say that uh, visually, they really were able to surprise me, and I'm excited to see if the second part they're going to add more complexity to the animation instead of just running with the themes they built into this one. Uh, just because they're making us wait a year, so they better fucking do something cool. But I, I did enjoy that, I, I don't know if it's overused, but creativity in finding different visual languages for each of the different characters. So Yeah, there's there's been a lot of write-up on it. Like We talked about it in our episode on how different characters were animated in different animation cycles, which carries over even more complexly because it's like most characters are animated on the one. So every frame they're moving, Miles is only moving every second frame. So like he stays stationary and it's, that's why he looks like he's glitching sometimes. And then Spider-Punk, this new character, is animating on threes. So he stays static yeah. for three frames and then goes. So he's like the a, alternate uh, character because he's a punk, Dave. Uh, I mean, I love I love Cyberpunk Spider-Man, but my favorite had to be Bollywood Spider-Man because uh, whatever oh, yeah. his name. Who is in the comics. He comes in the comics every so often. He's uh, fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. And uh, that whole scene in, I don't remember what they called it, whatever the changed word of, I don't know, it wasn't, it was a Bombay, it doesn't matter. Mumbai, yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, he, uh, he's such a good character. Yeah, he's a great character. I like him when he shows he's up so in the comic books too. He's so fun and sweet and just having a great laugh. I think his webbing looks so cool. That's that's only for this film that they made his webbing look that uh, interesting. What's that uh, toy? Yeah. Not, not quite a yo-yo, but there's that thing where people throw the... A shuttle at each other. It's so cool. I think it does a great it's job really well of kind of, uh, I don't know, like doubling down on the themes from the first one. I think that they expand in such an interesting way. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right. This is, I felt the exact same way from this film as I did from Dune. This is really good, but that's half a movie. I've only just seen the first yeah, half of a movie. So I've seen so many reviews out there being like better than the first one, like way better than the first one. And I feel very much like this is the godfather part two to the godfather it's like it's good it's very good but it is not better than the first one for me personally i was always more of a godfather part three fan myself yeah i'm not sure i'm I'm just gonna let it ruminate for a year i hate that we have to wait a it's year, not a year it's march is when the next one is supposed to come out but still okay fine like six months, months seven months or something but uh I, you know, when we left the theater because my nephew knew and we had already prepped my son i like Emerson loved it. Yeah, he was yeah. cackling, uh, which is always a sign of a good film. It made me well. There's a, there's scenes where you get very emotional, mm -hmm. and then there's uh, the comedy's hilarious. And you know, there's always this thing where you play to the audience and the nerds, and the Easter eggs might be overwhelming, but it's done in such a hilarious way that I mean, it's just a great yeah. I don't think feast for the eyes. I, I don't think the, the the Easter eggs and like the illusions that they make 
are there. And some of them I have to feel like are probably like producers forcing them to put some of them in there. That's what it felt oh, like yeah. to me. Or a fan letter yeah, or but something. But they don't they don't belabor it. It's it's there, it's quick, and then they're on to the next thing. So it's not a huge deal for me. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad I saw it in the theater. It was bombastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot. It's, it's a long a bit, movie. It's a bit long. Yeah, it's a little over long, especially for half a film. If, but. if they were to stick the landing, which I'm still confident mm-hmm. they can, but if they stick the yeah. landing in part two, it as a piece very well might be my favorite animated thing of all time. But we'll oh, see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we will see. Yeah. The setup for the continuation looks really, really good. The, the parts that I love the most is like the non-superhero stuff, which with him talking to his mom is like, I love yeah. this stuff. This is so great. I love that his mom has a mm-hmm. much better mm-hmm. uh, role in this. And I was thinking when I got home, I, when the set, third one comes out or whatever you want to call it, this feels like something I can actually watch as a trilogy. The way like I felt about Lord of the Rings or whatever, like I'm hoping that's the case, but uh, not that I have seven hours anymore no, as an old no. man, but I would love to just sit there and just let it run out because I do feel like it would work. This could so. be like just like how Lord of the Rings for a lot of people. I know so many people who either do it on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. They do the whole marathon of, mm-hmm. of Lord of the Rings. This could become a new thing for people to watch all three of these films. It's possible. You know, it's, let's say it's good enough to have that conversation. And so I, I really enjoyed it. I've seen some videos online to show that... Uh, this wasn't necessarily whole cloth thought up as a sequel because there's stuff in the first film that foreshadows what happens in in mm. these films. So the, it seems like they might set up a bunch of good stuff. writing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just sign of good writing. Okay, so the other thing I just wanted to very briefly, because n- neither of us probably have much uh, huge insight into this, but the new Apple product was announced. The the Apple uh, the goggles, the Vision, I think, is what we're going yeah. with, right? I on- I'm only bringing this up because during our Ready Player One conversation, we were talking about like what is the the future of VR. Right. And I made the bold proclamation: there is not going to be a time where people are going to be walking around with goggles on their face. So we'll see no. if I'm correct or not, but. Uh, any any big proclamations that you have to say about this? I'll say, you know, I saw the promotional video on YouTube that I'm guessing came from the Apple uh, promotional video. So on the surface, it's such a stupid thing to put on a device over your face. But then when they're showing like what it potentially could do, I was like, you know, I always wish I could have a 120 inch screen in front of my face and oh like if it could sense that someone comes in and automatically pull away the veneer of this immersive experience and I can talk to my wife and then I started thinking about how I like shit talk to the iPhone when it first came out yeah. or the uh, Apple Watch and now they've become you know so crucial to to our tie-in with technology you know maybe this is going to replace TVs you know maybe that's maybe that's where this yeah, is going I, right I think what maybe, Apple I, nobody's going to wear this walking down the street no I, I still I still don't think that's the case I think what Apple does so well at least promotionally they always show them using their products with other people this is not supposed to be an isolated experience this is for family this is for social they do solve the issue of like you being by yourself behind like a block of some kind so being able to see your eyes i thought like oh that's cool that they're showing that it is also interesting that they never once in like the two-hour presentation say the words vr virtual reality anything like that so this is like their, yeah, their yeah. new term that they're using it's their way of doing it spatialized yeah. computing or something whatever they called it anyways yeah, they like to rename things there's two things that jumped out to me one is yes or actually sorry there's three things that jumped out to me the first was that being able to still talk and see your eyes and i think that goes a long way for people to be like, oh, okay that there's not that barrier there 
too. I don't know why I never thought about this before, but the solve I felt like the use case for like, oh, I could see me, myself using this was them watching the, the movie and it's like, oh yeah, you don't have to like crane your neck in weird positions because on screens, yeah. if you're on a plane or anywhere, you're always trying to prop up your device or trying to hold yeah, it yeah. up and your neck is like getting sore because you're like looking down in this really awkward manner for two hours. It's like, no, you can just like look up. You're looking at like a huge gigantic screen. You can be immersed in it without uh, anything there. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And the yep. third one, I, I saw this from other posters online. Maybe they're Apple plants. I don't know. But still, there is this mechanism that will probably be on the new iPhone, if I had to guess, where you can like shoot 3D video and like relive them as memories within the goggles themselves and like interact with it. And, was, and there is a father there. It's like, you know, it's I like don't irony. have, I only get to see my kids once every couple of weeks. And I would kill to have this and be able to relive moments when I get to spend yeah, time yeah. with my family like or from a in the room or whatever. Or go talk to my grandmother and record her and like still and relive yeah. those moments. I'm like, oh. That will be a game changer when and if that ever happens. So, <laughs> yeah, I know that they're, you know, laptop and computer releases have become exhausting yeah. because they're incremental. Yeah, they're not new uh, things anymore. Evolutions and yeah, it's become very commercialized. But whenever they come up with like a new technology, they're the marketing kings or queens or whatever, you know, and they're so good at, like you said, making the viewer sit in the space they want you to be in. So, you know, 3,500 bucks yeah, I'm pop. I'm not buying this. Let me prototype. just point that no, out. No. <laughs> at a prototype level, it's, you know, it's just what it is. I mean, this it, it's it's key that this was, this was announced at the Worldwide Developers Conference. This is absolutely like, hey, go and make software so we can sell this thing. Like that's absolutely what this works. was. Yeah, yeah. It is also the pro version. So I'm certainly like the non-pro version. Well, it'll only be like $1,500, Dave. So like... <laughs> Well, you know, I was just this morning, I was talking to Helen and she, like, we have our television on top of a like uh, non-functional fireplace, but she's been obsessed over the 11 years of having a working fireplace. Mm. I don't know where this comes from because our fucking house is too hot. <laughs> right, so right. Adding a fire doesn't make any sense, but she's like, this is a big emotional thing for her. But I was like, there's nowhere else to put the TV. Like Kyle, you've been to my house. Mm. It's a tunnel. So you can't put it in front of a window. You can't put it so that my back is a fireplace. It defeats the purpose of having a working That's fireplace. Right. And we can't put it in the middle of the room because of the glare. Uh, I can't put it over the window. So it's like, this is the only place that it could exist for better or for worse but you know if we all put on a helmet to watch a movie together <laughs> yeah, and yeah. we're all watching it together on this like you know like a th literally a theater experience mm -hmm. like spider verse is great because you can see people's pores if you want mm -hmm, to because mm -hmm. the screen's so big you know is that actually going to be the right solve because she's like most people use their screens so i hate watching movies on my phone right you, yeah, you yeah. have to do it sometimes yeah. ah fuck apple yeah they, got they get us. you. They know. They got you. And they they get the feedback other than the cables, and they're like, yeah, we the, won't. We'll, again, this is we won't, such a. They the, won't concede on the cables. Having worked <laughs> for Apple for many years, there is always that things like never buy the first version of an Apple product. Mm. Uh, that's for like the early adopters. I kind of agree with that. Like the second version of this is probably going to be the killer, yeah. like complete version after they have the software and the notes from all the use cases and everything like that. That's where you're going to see it. But um, just quickly, I saw a follow-up immediately from Samsung and it was hilarious because you know Samsung's going to try to outdo it, sure. which is fine. And uh, all the PC fanboys are going to be upset about this, but theirs is clearly not nearly at the level of development because they use these like stock footage cutscenes. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, this could work. And you're like, there's no way you have a product. Like <laughs> you're just trying to get out there before people realize 
realize you haven't done any work on this. So I thought I just thought that was funny that that popped up on my YouTube algorithm immediately after, and I was like, so it's like a Minecraft background. Like this is not. Yeah, they were not ready. <laughs> they weren't ready for that uh, promotional video. I'm a Samsung in the streets, but an iPhone in the sheets. All right, so uh, we are talking about Mission Impossible, the sixth Mission Impossible film. What are your impressions of this series as a whole? Yeah, I love it. I The first Mission Impossible came out when I was in, what is that, 1996? Six. Six? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm like 16. And it's mind-blowing. I loved it. Like, I liked the TV show because yeah. that was on reruns and whatever in the 80s. Got to see and Mr. Then, Spock um, in a different role. And... Uh, it's also very different, right? It was very much a spy thriller. Like the very first one is just yeah, a yeah. spy thriller. Yeah. And it's a heist. You know, you got to love a good heist, right? Also and iconic. They, you have the, him almost hitting the ground, the right? The sweat and the laser. Yeah. The laser uh, ducks. I mean, those things have now become memes because everybody needed to copy mm -hmm. this, but it was fairly original. I mean, I'm sure there are iterations of it on TV, but it's just done really well. Uh, I can't remember who, it, that's not Bryce Singer. No, it's Brian De Palma. Who did that? De Palma. One. De Palma. Yeah. I was like, there's a Brian in it. Kind of a comeback ish for Brian De Palma. Because yeah, he doesn't make good movies. Well, no. I like early Brian fair? De Palma. I'll go to bat for his like sleazy <laughs> <laughs> stuff from the 80s. But like, yeah, what has he done for me lately? And Tom Cruise is kind of uh, at one of his peaks. Yes. I mean, that dude just peaks, but he's so good. And Ving Rames was good in it. And it was just exciting. And they still used the masks. And all of it mm -hmm. was just, it was so much fun. And, uh, then the second one came out when John Woo was like a big deal. Yeah. I, I felt very lukewarm about that one. I, it is um, the worst one of the series, in my opinion. Yeah. I think uh, just to be like the bold outlier here too, I've always felt like the first one is fine. I don't know. I just, I've never been like totally on board with the first Mission Impossible film. I wish I could really nail it down and be like, this is why. Well, it's a Brian De Palma film. Maybe that's so. why. It's just like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> Rough okay. Rough around like, the edges. There's iconic yeah. scenes. There's a good template here. There's some good mm -hmm. action sequences, but I was never like wholeheartedly in love with it. And the second one is bad. Like it is a bad mm -hmm. movie in my opinion. Yeah. It's really the third one where I really got my fandom. <laughs> Sorry to yeah. come up. Is that J.J. No, yes, it is. J.J. Abrams. Abrams. Fuck, I'm a loser. And then, uh, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. So good in that movie. So good in that movie. And it's dark, yeah. right? It's so dark. So that, yeah, that hooked me a little bit back in, but I, you know, we'll talk about this, Dave. I really don't like Michelle Monaghan. I don't, hmm. I don't understand her character and I don't really like her as an actress. So that was a down point for me, but it's fine. Like the movie is exciting, but because of its dark nature, when it came out, probably because it's post 9-11, you're like, you know, you're like, oh, this thing's got more weight to it. Yeah. It's not just a bunch of idiots on a motorcycle, like throwing bullets at each other. You know, the second one really made it so cartoonish. It's probably why John Woo left America, actually, that movie. And then uh, the big one for me is Gross Protocol. I mean... Yeah, when Brad Bird... Brian, Brad Bird's only good live action Yeah, film. I would say so, for now, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was... Oh, man. Larry, the Burj Khalifa. The Burj Khalifa, That's man. when the... Yeah. That was the thing where, like, Tom Cruise does his own stunts. Yeah, like Everybody kind of knew that before, but that's when they were like, look at this off-scene footage. He's actually out there. And he's going to die. Swinging, like, I yeah. gotta watch it. Yeah, I gotta watch it more than I, once. I forget, what the, I forget what the actual number was, but it was some ridiculous things like he had to take out a $20 million insurance policy yeah, in case he dies. Yeah, life policy. Yeah. And I, I really, we were introduced to Paula Patton. I really thought she was gonna have a bigger career. I really liked her yeah. in this film and that film. Uh, and the first Simon Pegg uh, mm -hmm. introduction. And he's hilarious. And I love that guy. And then from then, it's just been bangers. I, I like all of yeah. them. Because I love Rebecca reasons, Ferguson. Yeah. Is there a and, favorite uh, one you have of like the entire series? I don't know. What's the one before this? Ghost? Uh, Rogue Nation. 
Rogue Nation. I think I like Rogue Nation. I love Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, she's I just, great. I just love her. Uh, I, I've been watching Silo. Kyle, like, okay. they need to just send the rest out. I like every Friday, I'm like clenched. <laughs> I'm like, I need to know what happens next. Such a beautiful movie. So I love her. This one we'll talk about is very, very good. But I do, again, I have a bias. I have some biases. Yeah, you have some I, weird bias against Michelle Monaghan for some reason. What, but, so what uh, about what about yours? What, I, what's your I, favorite? I think I'm kind of uh, aligned with you. I really like the third one. That's where I kind of like, okay, I understand the franchise. Like I, I get it kind of started making this new template up. I, I, I've always kind of seen the third one as kind of like this soft reboot in a way of like, okay, mm, those are the yes. first two films and now we're going to go in this different direction sort of thing. And I yeah. think you need to, the, again, to take a look at the three big action franchises. They're about like a, a single person technically. You have James Bond and you have uh, Jason Bourne. And I think they realized it's like, we need to differentiate ourselves in some yeah. manner. And I think it became... Tom Cruise is going to kill himself on screen. Like, that's kind of basically what it is. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to up the ante, let's up the ante. I was reading yeah. some, uh, <laughs> you know, critical analysis of, of the franchise and something that keeps coming up, which I guess I never put into perspective before. Ethan Hunt, as a character, yes, is doing all these crazy, amazing things, but always under duress or like desperation mm -hmm. and it's a slightly different where james bond is always supposed to look kind of cool while he's doing intentional. it intentional yeah, and jason yeah. Bourne is also like i'm this technology like this uh it's a killer trained assassin trained assassin yeah. and ethan hunt is just like i guess i'm gonna have to run across these buildings and jump across it and like almost yeah, yeah. has to do it because uh there's no other way to do it not because he's being cool doing it it's a slight difference you see that influence in the daniel craig uh, bond mm -hmm. They tried to bring that in towards the end and the doesn't play well. More, more so yeah. than anything else. But Yeah, Tom Cruise is great because, uh, and we talked about this with Magnolia, he's a way better actor than people want to remember. Yeah. And he does comedy really well. It's not playing off as well anymore because he's getting older. So there's just something less palatable, I think, about his comedy Maybe, timing. But the, but there, that um, age is a weird thing because... Uh, now I'm thinking of like, that guy's almost 60 years old and he's like jumping yeah, up yeah, helicopters. Yeah. Like this is kind of yes. crazy, right? Like <laughs> the sprinting scene in this film, like how the fuck is this dude still that fast? <laughs> and that was after he broke his ankle. I'm just like, what? Yeah. How, why? Why yeah. are you doing this, Tom? You don't need to do this. Yeah, I'm sure too. He probably like, you know, Jackie Chan blew up mm -hmm. in the late 90s. And he's probably like, you know what? This is the way to go. Like I, I've got to show that mm -hmm. we're not, I mean, he has stunt doubles, but you know, that we're going to do. So Jackie Chan does too, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like him. I like this franchise. I'm excited about Dead Reckoning. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I like I like this movie quite a bit. Um, we'll get into it. The last thing I'll just I'll mention here too, because part of the joy is that it is Tom Cruise is actually doing this. There is this element for the action sequences that elevate them for me to the point, like even if you didn't know, I would say I would I would make this bullet claim. Even if you didn't know that that is actually Tom Cruise actually doing it, there's something to them that's like th this feels different. This feels yeah. more authentic. Not that they aren't like using CGI and special effects to like change some of the surrounding yeah, stuff. It. Yep. But like when he jumps out of the plane in this movie, it's like boy, that looks like he's really jumping out of a plane and he actually is jumping out of a plane. <laughs> yeah. When you watch the extras, he literally like was holding, climbed the rope on that helicopter. He actually fell off that mm -hmm, fucking mm -hmm. thing and that's his body bouncing off of it, almost dying. And they have it on footage. Like, <laughs> So that's why like, you know, like uh, Hans Gruber falling off of the Nakatomi Towers. Like Alan Rickman was dropped and they filmed his face, but he wasn't on a tower, no. right? So you can see that he's composite and it looks good, right? And, and I love, that's another one of my all-time favorite action films. But in this one, when Tom Cruise falls, it's because of the scale. Like 
There's no camera. Well, that's the thing. They're on this helicopter and you're like, holy shit. I watched this film (laughs) in IMAX and I remember watching it as he falls from that helicopter. Holy shit. Like there's this visceral thing. I was like, that was dangerous. I've also been watching a lot of Buster Keaton movies here recently. And there's a story from, I can't remember which one it is. Anyways, he's in a river and the stunt is like, he is actually tied with a rope underneath the water, but the rope breaks by mistake and he gets washed away and he almost died he almost drowned and died during this that's like every buster keaton i know story, every right? buster keaton story is the same thing <laughs> but it, it reminds me for this movie because apparently they get they, they pump all the water out of his lungs and he's like it mm. comes out back it's like did we get the shot like that's what basically and i feel like some of tom cruise's is like but what did we get oh, the yeah. shot i almost died <laughs> no yeah whatever scientology is giving him as superpowers it's working yeah it's working. And are these, all of these are Steve McQuarrie films? Whoever the no, director is from the cult. Nation and this one and the next two are all Steve McQuarrie. Otherwise, they had uh, different directors. What I mean, sorry, what I mean is Rogue Nation, this film, yeah. and Dead Reckoning. Yeah. Are all McQuarrie. He's, I don't know where he came from. We'll talk I'm about it. I'm pretty sure he must have. Yeah, it must have come from within the religion. But he's like, he he's understanding of that wide angle, visceral, Oh, uh, like steeped in reality yes. action scene. He's so good at that. The scale is unreal. This is, this is another thing. Like I am almost com- so I know that the director of all the John Wick films is like a huge Buster Keaton fan because uh, he's talked about it. McQuarrie must also be as well because they do the same thing. It's like let's just do this wide, show the thing actually happening, yeah. and then for the emotion, then we can push in. But like we're gonna yeah, show yeah. the stunt. We're gonna actually show the stunt. Yeah. It, either and this is why I keep thinking of Jackie Chan. Either uh, Buster Keaton, but that that was a big influence on Jackie yeah. Chan too. But also like '90s Hong Kong action films because of that. Yeah, like not fuck none of the stupid like you know shaky cam. Yeah. I I don't want to see any action or under. I'm watching this Korean action drama. It's not even good. I can't just stop watching because it's like porn. And uh, <laughs> when they have these fights like violence porn, when they have these fights and they had just one in a, in a subway, I thought it was my phone. Like I. I was like watching on the phone because Helen watch yeah. is too violent. And I was like, I can't actually see anything. Right, and right, it turns right. out it's just shot that way. You know, you're just supposed to hear the noise and a camera shaking and everybody's bleeding everywhere. But so visceral, Dave. You're like oh, in the action. Awful. <laughs> awful. Yeah, this one, you get sweats and it's, yeah, it's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And you know, the action movie is good when Helen will watch all of them with me too. Yeah. She loves these films, so. Well, let's get into yeah. talking about that. I'm going to take a small break. We're going to take a small break. And then when we come back. We should just cut this part out. It's not even working. (laughs) And then when we come back, we're going to be talking about Mission, (laughs) Colon, Impossible, M-Dash, Fallout. Mm. What is the most impossible mission you've been on? Uh, probably continuing this podcast because <laughs> it's becoming untenable almost. <laughs> it actually is getting a little stressful. <laughs> We've both started actually becoming adults mm-hmm. and having like other responsibilities. Pretty frustrating. Mm-hmm. So give us money, folks. <laughs> <laughs> a- I don't even know if money covers it. We'd need, we'd need a lot of money, not the uh, sponsor of our Patreon money. We would need Tom Cruise to yeah, Tom Cruise. drop in from a helicopter and say, you know what? Tom Cruise, all we're asking for is 0.5% of your paycheck from this last <laughs> Mission Impossible movie. That's all we're well, asking. He's a producer, so he's probably like, here's 20 bucks. Because as an actor, I did not pay myself. Right, right, right. Because I'm making, you know, 95% of the box office gross. Yeah, we, uh, the most impossible mission. That's probably, yeah, this one's hard. What else? Living, surviving, mm-hmm. yeah, surviving this living loving horrifying world laughing yeah. you know all the stuff and laughing laughing's getting harder it's hard to laugh 
All right. Well, that, on that cheery note, yeah, you can help support us. We have, do have a Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash Kyle and Dave VS the machine. And uh, you can reach us at our Gmail account. This is all in we, our show notes. Look, uh, for the Patreon, we suffer for that. We just watched Q. We're going to watch Sword awful. and Sorcery or something like that, I think, next. Yeah. I mean, we're suffering for it. <laughs> we are. All right, so Dave, we have now rewatched Fallout here, but we should think of, of a quick scenario. So let's say one morning you're making some toast mm. in your kitchen. <laughs> you put your toast in, you push uh-huh. the plunger down, but then all of a sudden you hear the tick, 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 tick. Oh my gosh, someone's replaced your toaster with a bomb. And that's when... Because that's the thing that, yeah. On your secret spy watch, a voice comes on yeah. and says like, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to defuse this bomb. But first, can you tell us what the plot description is of Mission Impossible Fallout? Wow. So we're on a timer. You have 30 seconds, Dave. What do you say? Yeah, what? A, sorry. What? A, I'm so bad with plots. I don't know. He's a super spy. Mm. Just say Ethan Hunt finds himself at the mercy of a secret organization called... What are they called in this I again? Don't There's so many secret organizations. Uh... This this of any of them the is, Avengers yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> oh uh, the uh, apostles oh that's a right a new secret society called the apostles who have uh, infiltrated which is just as usual yeah right every level of the United States uh, government and ha- are threatening the world with uh, nuclear oblivion it, you know what's weird is the plot is now they're all the same yeah, yeah I it's mean, always a nuclear device t- let's and- let's be frank. The plot isn't really all that important in these movies. No. Like, it's just no. a thing to hold, hang on to the action sequences on. How, That's all How about is. this? Uh, in this film, Tom Cruise will throw himself off of a helicopter in IMAX, mm-hmm. and you will Jump out of the uh, back of a plane, jump across <laughs> rooftops, run oh, like man, a the beast. the sky jump scene is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, this out of any of them is really a direct sequel of the previous yes. film. Like it really is a lead out from the last film of Rogue Nation. I'm presuming so. Dead Reckoning will be too, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, this is my, my cue to always point out in uh, Rogue Nation how much I love the opera sequence. I think that sequence is oh, so good. I even love, uh, I love the prison fight. Yeah. And I also love the record store where uh, what the bad guy first mm. kind of like, you know, with the ghast thing and he executes the girl. I mean, that sounds horrible. But that scene has so much tension because it's like, like, you know, the plots are always the same. There's always an evil organization and they always have a one-up yeah. on the IMF. They're always a, a step but ahead. the way they stage it, like Rogue Nation particularly, you're like, oh shit, like they are better. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. He, Ethan Hunt's going to lose. When he gets disavowed, he's truly disavowed this time. Mm-hmm. Like this is going to be a problem. And it was, you know. So what were your thoughts and feelings on this rewatch? I, l- I like this movie. I think uh, I think all of those action elements play really well. The bathroom fight scene's iconic in this mm-hmm. film too. The cocking of the fists. Yeah. Henry Cavill's fun. He is a behemoth. So um, large, and it was fun. Yes. Yeah. And it, he thick. And it was fun to see him as a bad guy. I love the way he dies, like mm-hmm. the disfigurement and the gas. Like it, that's such an incredible scene. They have a helicopter chase. They, they watch French Connection. They're like, you know what? Uh, this is fine. Right. But what do we do this in a helicopter for real Z's? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I could do all these stunts. I, so my sticking points, other than like the plot's getting a little tired, but I, I'm willing to uh, accept that because I, I just want things to blow up in my face. I don't like that they introduce the romance angle, and I really don't like Michelle Monaghan's character in this series. I, th- I just think it's so dry now, and for them to just throw her into this to be blown up by a nuclear bomb is so contrived. You don't need it, right? The stakes are already too high. We don't need- Yes and no. You don't I need mean- it. 
I think this is going to be our sticking point in disagreement. I guess whether or not you needed to have her specifically, but the whole theme of this is like Ethan Hunt does value all of humanity, but he also cares about the individual. Like he's willing to sacrifice himself for an individual and for a large group of people. And who's the most important single person in his life is his former wife. So I understand yeah, why that's they the bring thing. him Who in. gives a shit, right? Like she's not important. They wrap that up in Mission Impossible 3. They, they, they bring her try back to keep protocol. that line yeah. in four, and then uh, they just throw a casual mention in five because they're just like, you know what, we don't want to lose, like you can tell there's planning in it, but then for them to just throw it at the end of this film, it's like, I, I don't know, I just don't care, I don't care. It doesn't add to me, for me, any dramatic tension. Mm. And because I am not convinced with her as an actress or the character as it exists, other than in three, and three of the stakes were high enough because... He's trying to get out and like he's assembled this life and he's drawn back in. Fine. Like th it made that movie very dark and, yeah. and cruel. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm still down with this. At this point, it's, she's a cartoon character. She defused a nuclear bomb because she's a doctor's bullshit. Like the whole thing was unnecessary. I won't disagree in, in, in saying that like I don't find her to be like the most well-rounded character ever. It is still an interesting motivation because once again, it is kind of the difference between the other spy characters in popular movies. They tried it yeah, once maybe. with James Bond of having like an actual yeah, wife and it didn't really work there either. So I don't yeah. know. But he was, the other thing with those, I mean, yes, I can see that. But like you talked about at the beginning, they've already set Ethan Hunt up as a different type of spy. Yeah. Like James Bond became famous for this, you know, male toxic thing where he just goes around and fucks anything that moves and shoots anything that points a gun yeah. at him. And so people like that fantasy and that exists for itself. And, you know, I like James Bond movies. So when I need to couch myself in that kind of dumb drama... Uh, or whatever you want to call it, it's fine. You just accept that uh, there's a male gaze in that film. But this one, I don't know, like Ethan Hunt is already, like he, at the beginning, he chooses uh, Ving Rhames' life over the right. uh, nuclear codes. You already know who he is. Yeah, you don't need true. to bring the woman back. You don't need a damsel in distress, right? Maybe that's maybe that's a solve because she's not going to be, as far as I can see from the cast list, I've not seen the movie yet, I guess. She's not in the next two films. So I think that I that storyline like, has been uh, kind of effectively yeah. closed. And whether or not, like, is it Van Vanessa Kirby? No. Oh, Who's the White Widow yeah, in Vanessa this movie? Yeah, Vanessa Kirby. It's Kirby's her yeah, last she's name. Great. Anyways, uh, if she's going to move in to be that romantic, or if you even need yeah, a romantic so. lead anymore, crap. it can just be the team. I think the team is his like emotional. That's the best part of the first yeah. one, right? It's like they get along so well. They're all threatened, right? And as a team, they've got to band together mm -hmm. to save the world. I mean, that's what that's the stuff that makes me invested in this film mm -hmm. so when rebecca Ferguson comes back in when i mean just to get bring ving rames always is fun he's just fun um and just having them a part of it is exciting and i love the best part about the paula Patton to start although she ended up being pretty weak and then rebecca ferguson in particular is they're fucking badass yeah. like they just come in and they work rebecca ferguson is a great actress too i like her a lot and they you know they tried to do that thing where she was going to be the romantic lead yep. in a way and they realized they need to pull back on that which is great so don't bring another one in mm. You know, like if you know that you need a strong woman, especially in the time, you know, this day and age where we need more women that are going to go punch a guy straight in the face, sure. let's just live in that space. Like why, why do we need yeah. Ethan Hunt to be uh, a white knight? It's exhausting. I agree with Dave. We should kill all the women. There's a huge long sequence before like the title comes up in the first place. Oh yes. And I just, 
love it so much that whole like them pretending to be wolf blitzer sequence of them yes. pretending and then when those walls fall away and he stands up that shot the mercury captures of him like standing up as the walls are falling i'm like yes yeah. they totally totally <laughs> yeah, nailed it. screwed this guy over it's so good he rips <laughs> off the wolf blitzer mask and it's like you guys got it <laughs> i was like i'm in this that- i'm in this movie now that scene too weighs so much on the terrorist that actor the character mm-hmm. actor and he's so good in that scene you know going from uh frantic fear to like uh, uh-huh. uh whatever you call it aggressive like i won you guys are fucking losers and like, then all of a sudden he's crushed who's a loser now yeah <laughs> <laughs> what um yeah this is a small sub point I do want to bring it up. It's not like it ruins the movie for me or not. Something that has been true for, I think, every single one of the Mission Impossible movies, but especially the last three or four, in the opening titles, where it's introducing the movie and putting the actors' names up, it shows scenes that are going to happen later in the movie. And I kind of hate it when I first watch the movie. I don't mind it so much Mm. on my rewatch because I know what's going to happen anyways, but I don't want to necessarily be spoiled about upcoming sequences in the movie I'm about to watch. Yeah. I mean, that's a callback to the TV show, right? 100% it is. Yeah. yeah. That's a tough one. I I don't know. I, I think I'm, I think they outsource title uh, sequences to other companies now too. So I don't really know the political nuances of how those things are created uh, as far as who gets paid to create what right. and whether the director is in control of them anymore. I do know like if I had to leverage the concept of trailers and how the psychology behind them is for people to know what to expect, I can understand why they would put it in there. Mm-hmm. But if you go to a Mission Impossible movie, you know you're not going to be bored. That is true. So you don't really need a calling card to be like, people will blow up. It's like, I'm here for that. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not expecting soliloquies and fucking yeah. romances and all this stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I think it's a little off-putting sometimes, but they move pretty quick. And I mean, James Bond does it too. We just don't notice as much because they put on sexy girl silhouettes. Yeah, But true. it's all in there too. Yeah. yeah. At least there's no naked women in the <laughs> Dancing MI around as they title. project yeah, yeah. the titles onto their How naked bodies. How fucking archaic is that still, right? Maybe the next Bond will have like uh, super buff dudes in it too. I wouldn't say no. But uh, yeah. so the interesting that this movie is essentially talking about like man-made epidemics, right? Like using mm-hmm. chemical warfare type of thing. Is that, no, this one's, this one's a nuclear bomb. It is a nuclear bomb, but they're creating a virus in that one Isn't location one? so that the people come there so that they can blow it up. Like that's the whole point. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I understand what you're getting. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. So it's a MacGuffin to get all of our characters into that one location so that they can blow them up. That's like the whole uh, setup for this movie. MacGyver into this. Yeah. Yeah. But what I was going to say is I find it really interesting when they show the map, like this is where all like the bombs are going to go. Calgary is on there. So we're, we're. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. (laughs) Very prominently. It's like Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto are the three Canadian cities that they're going to blow up. And it's, it's nice to feel seen sometimes, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think maybe, I guess they had a production staff, those from Calgary or something, right? There's no way Americans know what Calgary is. Well, it has to be because it's like, you I don't know. You would think that Edmonton would probably get it over us a little bit. If you. If you Googled capital of the provinces for sure, mm-hmm. but that, yeah, that has to be somebody in there or maybe because so many productions are happening here. Maybe they just know about Calgary now. Mm-hmm. That's weird. I didn't even notice that. I didn't, I wasn't paying attention to the location. I just assumed they're like, they're going to blow things up. I'm like, yeah, it's the world. Yeah, it's, it's the fine. world. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And that, my friends, is the Alberta advantage right there. <laughs> um, okay. So I would maybe make the point that there, this is not like the most 
thematically rich of series like that's not really what you're no. coming to these movies for you're looking for a fun no. time to eat your popcorn um that being said there's a few sequences that i think we should point out first being uh, i think the first big one is him running out and jumping out of the back of that that plane which is if you read up oh, about yeah. it it took multiple times because first they wanted to do it at sunset which means they could do one jump a day oh wow. and they had to do it multiple times because the biggest thing as you notice is the camera guy has to jump out first fun fact about the cameras that they're using you have to have a dedicated focus puller so there's actually two people jumping out of the back of the plane and the nice. person pulling focus has to do it by eye because you can't have a monitor. He couldn't have a monitor to do his focus thing. So he has to basically eyeball Guess how far ridge. Tom Cruise is away from the camera and think it's probably here. We'd set it as they're Whoa. falling backwards and they have to do that multiple times and hope that it's in focus as they're falling out of the plane. I was just thinking like, why, why not just use an aperture with enough focal distance? Not a big deal. But if they're doing a sunset, you don't get a lot of light either. Right. So that's kind of crazy to think about. Those are the nuances about film production mm -hmm. that uh, once you know about it, you're like, holy shit, this is, this is why it costs extra money to have yeah, these experts in that's it. That's where a lot of the money goes. Uh, is it 120 million bucks? Who knows? But, uh, yeah. and again, there's a lot of CG, of course, with like the thunderstorm that they're falling through. Sure. Uh, that's in Dubai, I think, is where they jump out of the plane, even though it's made up to look like Paris. That, again, is CGI yeah. work that they're doing there. But uh, that way, they're not actually falling into buildings. I mean, I, I understand why they're doing it out in the <laughs> desert. Well, I'm surprised they didn't do it in Calgary. Yeah, <laughs> there's no one around here. Then we have that sequence in the washroom as they're fighting and throwing each other through mirrors and glass and yeah. uh, the uh, uh, toilets and all, everything like that. Yeah, yeah. Porcelain. I was like, it's not ceramics. Oh, it's a type of ceramic, but porcelain. Yeah. They break a lot of shit. I do love the idea of them accidentally breaking the computer. So like the mask isn't working properly. Yeah, so yeah. it just adds these complications. Uh, I, this is a great example of how action is used not only to build character, but also to advance plot. It's not just, let's just do a fun, some fancy, like, you know, car spins or explosions that are going on. It's like, no, these are actually building on top of each other. So like this and John Wick are basically like the pinnacles, I think, of action filmmaking right now, at least in North America. Where they're actually using action in really effective ways in a narrative sense yeah i thought that whole scene is exciting and then you know on the multiple rewatches knowing who henry cavill's character is it's like you see these little yeah little you see these little nuances of decision making so you're like oh when do i play along why. when do i not play along yeah 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 and i also like i mean this has just become par for the course but i love how they have different fighting styles because you have the smaller dude who's got to be tactical, and then you have this fucking Hulk just, who just, just wants to punch, just punch people. wall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, if I'm Henry Cavill, I, I don't want to have nuance in my fighting. I'll let anyone punch me in the face several times because my ham fist mm -hmm. is going to break every bone in your chest. Yes. So that Asian actor, that stunt martial artist, he's a fantastic fighter. Like is everything, okay. well, I'm just saying like in that scene mm. where they choreographed that fight, he's so clean. Like you can, mm. you know, every hit... All three of them, but him in particular, he's there. When you see bad action stuntmen, there's something not just sloppy, but over intentional. And you got to kind of you see the punch pulled, and there's a sort of a pacing that feels awkward. But this thing, like that guy was sharp, you know, he's it felt real mediocre or not very good action sequences. It's almost you can feel like actually, I'll throw in my pro wrestling example on this too. I don't like super over choreographed sequences. Because you, I can tell sometimes, oh, you're just waiting for the move now to There's happen. There's timing. Instead yeah, yeah, yeah. of like just fluidly going through a sequence and stuff like that. Like, yeah. And this doesn't have like you that. You can see them counting it out. You know, they're like one, 
two, three. Okay, okay, now throw punch. And it's like, yeah. okay, okay, guys, come on. Like, let's, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing uh, here? Well, this is, you know, Old Boy would change this in a lot of Asian cinema where you get into a group fight and then everybody takes a turn to take a swing at the protagonist. Yeah. But now it's like, if you have 20 guys, 20 guys are swinging their bats at the same time mm-hmm. and they've got to figure out a way. Uh, for the guy not to die. Yeah. And this one, even though it's two on one, they, they, that's really successful. I also like that the bad guy was a stronger fighter. You, yeah, I always love yeah, that. that's fun. Right? I forget if it's McQuarrie who said this or not. It's one of the producers on this series. The thing about constructing one of these movies, right? The name is not mission really hard. It's mission impossible. We have to put something in there like, no, this is impossible to get out of and then find a way to get out of it like that's kind of the magic trick of these movies and i think the last sequence absolutely exemplifies as like there's no way there's just no way you're going to be able to do this well they they go a little on the nose where everybody in the team's like we just can't do it yeah like it's it's just stupid we shouldn't try we're getting a little bit into the fast nine facts uh, fast x thing where they're just making fun of themselves so they're gonna go to space Um, next is what you're saying of course they are of course they are uh (laughs) the i think the next big sequence after that is one that takes up i would say a good portion of the runtime here is the the entire chase through the chase not paris where Uh, are they um vienna whatever whatever european city they're in that they're racing around no vienna's uh skyfall yeah maybe they're still in paris are they still in paris yeah they they Right. So the whole the whole point about this setup is that, okay, we're going to rescue the bad guy from the last movie. So we're going to force you to save Mm -hmm. the guy that you don't like. And Mm -hmm. then you have to kill everybody that's on your on the team. He's like, well, I'm not going to have that happen. So he orchestrates the whole thing about I'm going to save this guy, not kill my whole team and still get this bad guy out and back to America where we can interrogate him or is basically what the whole thing is. Uh, And then that devolves into. A chase on a bicycle, which then devolves into a, a foot chase. Well, they add the three-dimensional layer. I think yeah. uh, Spectre, not Spectre, one of the James Bond ones tried to emulate them. Wait, I don't remember which one came first, where Dan Craig's like driving the motorcycle on the roof. But mm-hmm. it's the same thing. You know, we have three three tiers, like ground, upper, That's there's right. a underground sequence. So this whole action sequence, this is where Henry yeah. Cavill reveals who he truly is. There's the yeah. subterfuge and like It's the, good the back and forth that way and like who you think is good is bad and then they're back to good again like there's this kind of cool sequence that happens throughout it anyways this is what call this do you have this about- is my first groan right they're in the elevator and then he's like i'm your wife's guardian angel i'm like come on yeah come on we don't need it anyways, sure but, good. but uh, as far as the action sequence goes um i'll tell you this Beautiful. even this time the one that makes me go like oof jumping out the window uh, no, is when he was, is when his motorcycle hits the car and he flips over oh, the, the roof. Oh, at the end. Oh my God. Because he actually, yeah, again, did that too. So it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, yikes. Th- that also, I had a little bit of like a, I don't know, a little twitch. He gets hit. I'm like, okay, he survives because Ethan Hunt. He finds that little hole, yeah. which happened to be the right one at the right time. And suddenly he's in the boat. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, like, I'm willing to believe that they can plan out almost anything at this point. But mm-hmm. that one for me was a little extra. And I actually found myself trying to calculate, like, if that was already the exit point and he just happened to get hit by a car, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the way they shot it, I was like, it just felt too happenstance. Sure. Like, when they actually save the bad guy because they pushed the car into the water. I love how 
the cart or the back of the truck oh, is filling man. with water. He's take that breath. So they do the stationary what one. What a great the, shot. Oh, such a great shot. I'm taking the last breath oh, before he goes underwater. That's probably what brought James Cameron back. He saw the film <laughs> and he's like, I can do this better. I can do this. I'm going to make this last two hours. <laughs> I've got this thing, Avatar, and they're in the forest, but you know what? Fuck it. They're all going under the water. Because if this dude can do it, I am the water. I'm a sub guy. <laughs> I am the water now. That's what he says. That's who comes out. And then, of course, the the, the famous story, right? Because when he gets up onto the rooftops and he's chasing after Henry Cavill, this is where he breaks his ankle, for real, where he jumps from rooftop to rooftop. And you can see that in this movie because he hits the side of that wall. And it's like, yikes, that looks kind of painful. Right. He's Jackie Channing it, man. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a... I mean, Jackie Chan did this, but Tom Cruise really upped the ante and now... We're seeing some pullback because actors are getting hurt, but there was yeah. a run in the 2000s where if you were making an action movie and you didn't do your own stunts, people were not going to watch your movie because mm-hmm. it just felt even more fake uh, and it was a poor marketing gimmick. So, so um, in my yeah. one of my jobs that I have currently, I work at this nonprofit place that helps independent filmmakers. Film society. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this past week... There's a bigger production that was doing rehearsals in our back room with a bunch of like kids, like teenagers, early 20 somethings. Babies. They're all babies. But one of them had worked with uh, Nicolas Cage in the past. And he was telling a story about Nicolas Cage being like when he was young, he was like, yeah, I'm going to do all my own stunts. But now he tells actors like never let, never have a stunt performer not get paid for a day's work sort of thing. It's like, mm. you think you can do all these stunts? And unless you're Tom Cruise, you cannot do all these stunts. No, I can't. Just let, them, I let's let the stunt people do the stunts. Especially at the level we're at. Yeah. You know, a stunt is no longer like flipping on your back on a table mm-hmm. or taking a punch or falling through a, you know, like a false drywall wall, mm-hmm. right? Vin Diesel and The Rock. Yeah, they're getting dangerous. You want people who know what you they're doing. You have to die. Yeah, yeah. And like, if you watch the behind the scenes, the Jackie Chan, same thing. I mean, these guys are fucking tethered to everything. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, they have a, like Tom, they have to cut that out, but Tom Cruise is wrapped around the gills. Like, he, they're not going to let him die. It adds to that thing that you can actually just have a camera on his face as he winces in pain. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing. I know why movies do this and I wouldn't want it to be changed, but glass windows break so easily in movies i think mm-hmm. it's always so funny it's like, i'm gonna take this one office chair and one throw is gonna break through this window but i mean there's some movies that are great about that where it just doesn't break yeah. and they get stuck but yeah i think people would be surprised if you've only if you've never tried to break anything in your life that things don't act well some things don't break as well as they do on tv and some things break too easily yeah right right <laughs> but uh yeah, like to throw a chair through a window, that chair has to be sturdy as fuck. It's got to be like a cast iron chair, mm-hmm. right? And that window has to be large enough you got to hit in the right spot to even make a crack because uh, they use strong glass for exterior well, windows. Uh, even your windshield, right? Like yeah. a well, huge that's, rock yeah, and will, you know, bust it, but it's not going to shatter inwards. Two layers yeah. with a film in the middle so that we can prevent now shards of glass entering your eyeballs when anything hits it. And that's why we're not as strong as we once were, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Herd immunity. (laughs) You know, the other thing that keeps creeping in my mind, because you introduced it into my thought process, was the criticism of Brad Bird and The Incredibles. I started thinking about how Mission Impossible can also play into this narrative of the Superman who's held back by the system. Sure. I mean, it's done in a more tactful way, so I didn't think it was offensive. But man, like ever since you brought that up, I can't help but see it. So we watched this and then we watched Spider-Verse and I'm like, there's a difference in the the storytelling. And in Mission Impossible, you don't care because you know that you're there, not just 
to watch a white supremacist beat everybody, but just because everybody's going to die and everybody punches each other in the face and you just want to see someone jump off a plane and it's exciting. So you know what you're paying your money for, but I just can't not see it anymore. I know. I mean, I it's hard. It's I always think it comes down to intention. I honestly think, and maybe I'm giving him too much leeway. I actually don't think Tom Cruise has that much of a political point in most of his movies. Like, no. it's just like, I just want cool things to happen. I want an excuse yeah. to like be tethered to a helicopter. Like that's what he's entertainment. doing. Whereas Brad Bird, I think might have a little bit more intentionality with what he's writing yeah. and, and creating. You know, if you watch uh, Magnolia, watch anything where Tom Cruise or even Tropic Thunder or whatever, like Tom Cruise has the capability of trying to get an Oscar, sure. but you can tell he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. And he sounded disappointed about Top Gun, but he made Top Gun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't. He didn't make a Shakespearean drama, right? Like he's like, we're gonna make a sequel, to Top Gun, because now I can be in the plane and we have better technology to blow shit up. Right. The fact that it was even in the running for an Oscar was he was probably laughing more than yeah. being upset. <laughs> I just, it's hilarious, right? He doesn't strike me as that type of guy. As weird as he is, and now with that Danny McBride thing, and you know, as we peel back the layers of these cults and you mm. know how people actually exist in them, you know, it's a problem. Oh yeah, right. He's. Tom Cruise is the figurehead of Scientology, but if you didn't know, it's not in the news anymore. So maybe the younger viewers don't know, right? That he has got a lot of controversy. This is always that hard part of like talking about a movie that I enjoy versus the person who is like, he probably shouldn't yeah. be given as much leeway as he is. I think he should be given more power. Although at least I know he's too big for this to happen, but we haven't seen that scandal yet where it's like he's got a secret harem. No. And I will say this too. Again, this is only from a couple of people I've talked with. Professionally, the vast, vast, vast majority of the crew that works for him, like, love the guy. He's very yeah. generous with them, pays them overtime. It's like when this film had to shut down for like two months because he broke his ankle, he paid everyone for those two months. So, like, this is the hard part. People are the persona, yeah. People are good and bad at the same time. I know sometimes we try and lump them into one or the other. So, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to discuss yeah, and it. like being the figurehead of a weird cult doesn't mean that you're inherently a puppet master. I mean, if anything, he might be the puppet. Mm -hmm. So and not to be too defensive of him because he, I mean, I'm sure he's super weird. You can't be that famous and wealthy and not lose touch with what we would call humanity. Yes. I mean, we have our own definitions of that. But it is interesting, kind of like we talk about Ron Howard or Steven Spielberg. I mean, there's the whole thing about Katie Holmes and uh, Penelope Cruz, like his dating. But a lot of that is paparazzi too. Like, I'm just, I'm stuck on it. So I try not to think about it too much. Weirdly enough, because you've brought them up, I, this probably is not going to happen now just based on where they're both at in their careers and their ages. I would have loved to have seen Tom Cruise in a James Cameron film. I feel like James Cameron would know yeah. exactly how to use him in like the, the optimal way. I don't think their egos would work no, together. Probably not. But yeah, it would be, yeah, I mean, yeah, thinking about Steve McQuarrie and how he shot those films, James Cameron would, James Cameron knows how to shoot epic visuals, yeah. but also James Cameron is not the best narrative plot guy i mean he's, no, a, he's a good visual guy. storyteller though he's good yeah. at doing that um so avatar 2 is soapboxy yeah as a complete you know? digression have you watched that new arnold schwarzenegger documentary yes. on netflix i was just about to bring it up my favorite uh, i really enjoyed it story huh. it's either cameron or schwarzenegger talking about it or them going back and forth about the making of terminators like i think it yeah. should be i'll come i'll come back and like oh i'm sorry are you the fucking writer of this I movie yeah yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. That's what James Cameron does. I I read the Arnold biography years ago and you know what I love about Arnold other than being such an Arnold fanboy, like every time a clip would come up, I would name the movie. Like, you know, I just, I love Arnold, Mm -hmm. but I've always liked about him a, that, I mean, he's a total psychopath. Like he's planned his, you can tell when he was like 14, he planned his whole life out. Yeah. There's just something intentional about every decision that he made. From people who don't realize it yet, I think it's fairly common knowledge, but the guy was a millionaire before he became a Hollywood actor. Right. So, I mean, this is not a normal human being. But the thing I love the most about him is that uh, for the most part, he just accepts that he gets things wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. like he's doing this interview and he's talking about how James Cameron was like, yeah, I'm the writer. You're just here to fucking act. So shut the fuck up and read the line. (laughs) And, uh, and then he's like, yeah, and he was right. You know, you're like, instead of, you know, some kind of second defense about how, well, at least I played it this way or something. Mm -hmm. Even when the scandals and his political, the third episode, I was like, you know, this is why he survived the first part of that controversy of the sexual assault stuff. Because his first interview is like, he comes out and he's like, yeah, I fucked it up. Mm-hmm. You know, but oh, we can grow and I'm going to do better. And you're like, people don't say things like that anymore. You know, everything's a half, half winded thing. I mean, it's basically the best way to come out of a scandal too. It's like, you know what? Everything that they're saying, absolutely right. Okay. And let's move yeah. on. Cause now there's nothing that they can do to you because you're, you've admitted See, it. I think that's yeah, his intentional life. He was able to just at least try that out. I yeah, know he yeah, did yeah. some backpedaling later and you know, I, I do like that he's remorseful and I, you know, it is weird to worship a guy who buys tanks and smokes cigars. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So that's it. That is a thing. But uh, he's a he's an interesting guy. Let's see some backstory here. So this movie opened up on July twenty seventh of twenty eighteen. Currently rated three point nine on Letterboxd, has a seven point seven on IMDb, an eighty six on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes from four hundred and forty one critics, it has a ninety seven percent, and from ten thousand plus users, it has an eighty eight percent. It is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can also rent it on both YouTube and iTunes. And, at least in Canada, you can stream it on Netflix. Its budget was $178 million. Its box office would be $791 million worldwide. Hold on, hold on. It made less than Venom. It made less than Venom, but still was the eighth highest grossing film of the year. But yes, it made less than Venom. It's crazy. $200 $200 million less than Venom. Why, the fu- why did so many fucking people watch? Why did people watch Venom? I don't know. People love it, Dave. Does it have a headache? Its plot description from IMDb is Ethan Hunt and his IMF team, along with some familiar allies, race against time after a mission gone wrong. Um, I flipped the words. I was going to say with some familiar races. I'm like, whoa, that, that can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. Isn't it, in a way? (laughs) Dave, it is now time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess Guess that tag. tag. You know, when you go to the movie theater, of course, you see that row of posters and they have a little tagline to entice you to come in and see the movie. You probably are feeling quirky this week, Dave, and you're going to go and check out Asteroid City. That's a new Wes Anderson movie. Oh, a new new Wes Anderson movie. I'm like off the Wes Anderson train, by the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, let's keep going. That's too bad. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Let's say I'm going to watch it because every actor alive is in it. It's going to cameo in it. Yeah. yeah. The early word, it is, it's pretty divisive, but it seems like if you liked French Dispatch, his last one, if you liked it, you don't like this one. And if you didn't like it, then you do like this one. Like that seems like how it, it's crossing over. So... So random. It is random, isn't it? I mean, it? I, I couldn't get through French Dispatch. And I love French you told Dispatch. Me I didn't, like, yeah, I love you told me French I just didn't give it enough time. But you're also like, uh, 
you know, a little uh, thirsty for Chamolet. So um, I feel well, like that's not there's my, something that was... That's not my favorite one like, of his, though. No, I'm just saying there's something that kept drawing you back oh. in, is my opinion. <laughs> it's actually the Jeffrey Wright one. The last one, I think, is the best short film in that, uh, in that series. But Well, I'm, I, don't, I didn't get there. It just felt plotting at the beginning. Maybe I, mm -hmm. I won't give it another chance because I don't have time for... Anyways, Dave, what is... The, I'm going to give you three options. One of these is the real tagline to this movie. The other two are completely made up by me. So, is it, time is running out? Is it, this time, it's more impossible? Or is it, some missions are not a choice? Uh, wait, what's the name of this movie again? Fallout. Fallout? Let's go with three. Some missions are not a choice? Yeah. You are correct. That is the actual no, tagline. I'm not killing this. This is exciting. I, or your writing prowess is taking a dip from your fatigue of real life. Maybe. Because uh, the first two didn't the sound The boils well. on my face have just me up energy. <laughs> <laughs> you should have, uh, one of them should have been, why not? This, this stars Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, Henry Cavill as August Walker, Ving Rhames as Luther Stickle, Simon Pegg as Benji Dunn, Rebecca Ferguson as Ilsa Faust, Sean Harris as Solomon Lane, and a bunch of other people. I, I do want to give a huge shout out to Sean Harris, the, yeah. the bad guy, for one scene in particular. Like he plays like the creepy dude, right? But the he's one so scene where it. he's playing it as if Simon Pegg is playing him, mm. I think is great acting because he's. You can tell there's a difference. It's like you can tell he's yep. pretending to be Simon Pegg, pretending to be him, uh, which is a very subtle change you have to do with like your body language and stuff like that. So and your facial expressions, yeah. He's oh, man, he's good in this movie. I, when he appeared in Rogue Nation, he's so frightening because mm -hmm. you start wondering like, what does this guy look like in real life? Can human beings be around him? Because he just looks so maniacal. And uh, <laughs> which, this one, he appears- honestly probably means he's like the nicest person in real life. Sure. That's usually what yeah. happens. But And this one, once he puts on that uh, prison beard, you're like, this guy's going to fucking murder somebody. Mm -hmm. He just, he doesn't look right. In Stark contrast to the Fast series, whenever they go to a prison to break out an old enemy, they just look like cartoon characters. Sure. Like, you just stop caring. It's getting so dumb. Well, I mean, you, you haven't seen Fast uh, 10 yet. If you want to talk about cartoon characters, we'll talk about Jason Momoa's performance in that movie. <laughs> I know some people well, love it, but I was like, I don't know. He's so overrated. I, I know people think he's sexy. He's but playing a caricature of a gay man, and it's like, I think we're past this. I don't know. I, I don't buy him. I, I apparently am an outlier. Are we going to watch, is it Aquaman this year? Unfortunately, because I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of that movie either. I'm so. not a fan of that movie and people actually, it's like Venom. People hopped on that yeah. train. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why, well, Kyle. There you go. Cinematography is by Rob Hardy. His top four from IMDb are this movie, Boy A from 2007, Annihilation from 2018, and Ex Machina from 2014. Oh, Ex Machina is a great He's done film. some good stuff, shot some good stuff. This is written by Christopher McQuarrie, based on the TV series created by Bruce Geller and directed by Christopher McQuarrie. This is, of course, a long-running series. This is, I, we didn't bring this up, but I just wanted to point out, this is technically part of that period in like the mid-90s to the early 2000s where they adapted just a bunch of old TV shows into mm -hmm. movies. So you had like the comics, like the Flintstones, the Beverly Hillbillies, the Brady Bunch, the Addams Family, and then dramas like The Saint, Miami Vice, The Fugitive, The Untouchables. Like that's what the, yes. the big thing Hollywood was doing was adapting old TV shows. Uh, and that's not even scratching the surface of all of the different titles that there were at the time. Brian De Palma steps into the director's chair for that first one, which basically is just a spy thriller, which is what we said, uh, but does the bold thing 
where they have one of the good guys from the TV show, the mm-hmm. character at least, be the bad guy in yeah. that film. He's revealed to be the bad Trench. guy. Which apparently, I was reading up, pissed off a lot of hardcore Mission Impossible fans at the time. Oh, 19, at the time? In 1996. I love so. it. John Woo steps into the immediate sequel four years later. That's still in the period where Cruz is working with some interesting directors, pushing himself as an actor. Six years after that, he rolls the dice with up-and-comer director J.J. Abrams for the third film, which is this soft reboot. The fourth film is five years after that. There's long periods between these movies. Uh, That's Brad Bird, uh, who we've talked about. And that's really when the series starts to pivot to the whole, oh my God, what is Tom Cruise going to do in this movie for real. Rogue Nation comes out four years after that movie and is directed by Christopher McQuarrie. McQuarrie started as a screenwriter. He first came to prominence with his script for The Usual Suspects. That is what he, that's where he started his career. Interesting. Which is, I will just say as a little side tangent, the template for everything not to do in a screenplay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Technically, like if you if you read any of the screenplay books, attend a screenplay class, The Usual Suspects breaks every single thing that they tell you not to do. <laughs> and is nominated it's for so a good. best uh, script. So like the, yeah. the Oscars almost awarded him. His first directing job is The Way of the Gun from 2000. Oh, Benicio wait, is that Del Toro the Ryan movie. Philippe? Yes. Yeah. Ryan Philippe. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. He continues his working relationship with Brian Singer because he writes Valkyrie which introduces him mm. to Tom Cruise and then writes and directs the first Jack Reacher movie, which also stars Tom oh. Cruise. And then he writes, but does not direct edge of tomorrow starring Tom oh, Cruise. I love that movie. That's a great movie. Ja- Can we just a uh, quick sidebar? Jack Reacher is actually quite a good movie. With but the fanboys hated it yeah. because he's, he's supposed to be like six foot eight. And, and so the TV show they put on prime is actually not that bad, mm-hmm. but they really should have given that series a little bit more room to breathe. I know the second was shit, but I think they were under so much pressure mm-hmm. already to appease the fans. But I like the first track, Jack Reacher movie a lot. Mm. Anyways. Weirdly, one of the very few Tom Cruise movies I have not seen. So oh, <laughs> I, should, okay. I should give it a shot. Because there's two of them, isn't there? Isn't there two of them? Yeah, there are two. The second one yeah. is not good. And is it, the first one is Werner Herzog the bad guy in the first one? Werner Herzog. And then uh, who's uh, Bruce Willis' son in the shitty Die Hard f- 5 uh Oh, Jai Courtney or something like that? Yeah, yeah, he's like an assassin in it. I think that, that's remember, not his breakout, but he was kind of an up and coming. Remember remember when he was supposed to be a thing? It's like everybody, eh? Nobody's nobody's making it. Nobody's making very it. Very few, yeah, very few. Now, because Rogue Nation was such a hit, of course they're going to do another film. Pre-production starts in 2015. Now, just so you know, Dave, the way that these films are basically structured now, this is not the case for the first three, but there is a script that's written. But the actual stunts are not extensively like written out or choreographed until basically two things happen. One, Tom Cruise says what stunts he wants to do. <laughs> and B, they know what locations they have access to. Right. So they have the shell of like this, like this goes to this, this goes to this. But what do we actually want to do? It's like, I want to like hold on to a helicopter for 10 minutes yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. And it's like, okay, how do we make that fit into the script that we've written? McCory is hired as a screenwriter pretty early, but it does take a while for the studio, Paramount in this case, to agree that he could be director again. Cruz holds out for more money. <laughs> uh, which did stall production for a few weeks, but finally Paramount agrees to his demands. He is a producer. It's so interesting films that too. he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't have more mm-hmm. leverage at this yeah, point. It's weird. One of the people who did not return to this film was Jeremy Renner, who had been in the previous two. Uh, yep. However, his work schedule as Hawkeye in the Avengers films prevented him from too much, coming back. He too just, much Marvel. 
Filming officially begins, listen to this, Dave. Filming officially begins in April 2017. As a guess, just guess when they stopped filming, when the actual filming wrapped on this project. Uh, I don't know. A year later? (laughs) March 2018. So almost a full calendar year later is when they wrap this up. Now. That's crazy. To be fair, there was nothing like on Solo, like huge behind the scenes turmoil. But one of the biggest reasons that this happened is that Tom Cruise busts his ankle for real, closed them down for two months and actually cost them an additional $80 million, apparently. But the other big one was that Henry Cavill had to actually, because of this delaying more, more, he actually had to go back and do some reshoots for the Justice League. And then there was this huge dispute between the two productions because in Fallout, he has a mustache. And Mm. as Superman, he does not have a mustache. And Paramount was like, you cannot shave your mustache. You're contractually obligated not to shave. Did they they green paint his hair? Yes. So if you watch Justice League, (laughs) which I have taken that bullet and done for you, Dave. In some scenes, you'll be like, why does Henry Cavill's face look so weird? It's because they (laughs) digitally had to remove his mustache in certain shots. It's so oh, weird. Love it. You watch him like, what is what is wrong with his lip? Well, uh, it's uh, what's wrong is that movie is shit. Oh, it's That's terrible. What's wrong with it? It's terrible. Wildly, the uh, uh, Zack Snyder Snyder's cut? Justice League is better <laughs> than that original movie, but like, it's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. Yeah. Did you watch the Stan Lee documentary on Marvel? Uh, no. You should. It's good. It only I'm just bringing this up not to sidetrack us too much again, but uh, I didn't know this, but after you know all of the mythology of Stanley building uh, so many of these guys, it's it's amazing how many of these characters he has a hand in creating. Highest functioning process for Marvel in their peak 60s was that Stanley would much like this outline a general plot direction, ask the uh, the pencilers, you know Ditko and right. uh, what's the guy's Jack Kirby. To then just go home and do whatever they want with it. They'll come back with a free-flowing art and he would then write in the dialogue after. So it sounds a lot like this where they're like, you know what? We know where we want to start and we know where we kind of want to end. And then you do what you need to do in the middle and we'll connect the dots after. You get a serviceable story. It's fun. That's how I feel about my world domination. I know how it starts and how it ends, but whatever this podcast has become is what happens in the middle. I'll just say, even with the accidents and the weird production delays, it does come out on the date the studio promised back in 2015, gets great reviews, makes a boatload of money, and the sequel is coming out in like just a few weeks from now. So I'm excited to see that. They do need to figure out how to not fall into this two-parter trap. It's getting too frequent. Man, if we ever do the year 2023, yeah, there's four films... I think so far that have come out or are are coming out. They're like, it's basically just a part one of a two part story. It's weird that that's the new thing that's happening. I I blame, I I honestly, I blame Harry Potter because Harry Potter was the first one that did that. It's definitely Hollis. Yeah. I, I do feel like I was trying to think about this with Spider-Verse, whether you could cut that down into a single movie without having seen the second part, but they try such a broad and complex thing that it's actually paced well enough. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're dragging anything out. So maybe you're just too ambitious in your storytelling. You want to make some kind of big existential commentary, but it's, if it's a Mission Impossible movie, yeah. you don't need to do... I mean, I don't know, unless they're finally going to kill Ethan Hunt, which is possible. That might be where they're going. I don't know. I mean, the time of pacing, that's kind of the big knock I have with this film. As I was rewatching it, I was actually, we were watching it on a trip back down from Edmonton on a bus, like the optimal way to watch one of these films. 
and I was like, man, I'm actually liking this way more than what my first score was when I watched it, you know, five mm. years ago. I was like, I might actually rate this a bit higher. And I settled on the exact same rating I had given it five years ago because there is this, it's not a long section, but basically after that big foot chase, you know, Henry Cavill says like, I am her guardian angel. From like that yeah. point on until they kind of finally get into the mission part of them in. There's a dip. It just is a dip. It's like, I don't know how you, mm. it's not that they're not giving you good information or setting it up. It's just like, I don't know if you could have just crammed this into well, like a two minute sequence or something and just get to yeah. where we need to get to. You know to. why, Kyle? You know why? Because they introduced a fucking love story. Maybe, maybe that's, that's what it. happened in that section. Oh, don't you know what happened to his wife? Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Nobody cares anymore. There's only two women he's ever loved. Like, fuck off. Mm -hmm. Right? We don't need... You don't need it. I think we can just. I think I might be coming right? around more to your. I don't hate Michelle Monaghan like you do, but I might be coming around that you just don't need that added thing into this. Oh, that's it's what not enough to the ruin piece. the movie or anything like that because that final no, sequence no, no, is still, still great. Uh, and I just wanted to call out like after the uh, helicopter chase and then they crash and then the hook rips off uh, Henry Cavill's face. Oh man! <laughs> I love, love, love the fake out of you looking like the bomb actually does go off and it's like nope, just the sun coming up yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good i think it's such a great cut that mccory does there oh man high stakes you know and that's the thing about good action we've talked about this so many times but it's so dumb and so silly and you buy into it mm -hmm. that's how you know they made the film correct this idea that he's going to do the tv thing where he just pushes the button right at the last second everybody cuts the wire at the last second even though they don't know what each other's doing yeah. and it actually works fuck it at the end you're like fuck it great mm -hmm. great thank you Thank you, Mission Impossible. I actually, actually kind of like that too. It's like, <laughs> we're going to cut this on two seconds. It's like, why? Why yeah. not just wait for the last second and cut it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why, why, we're not going to, you know, uh, put it's the world on writing, line for man. one second. So I get it. <laughs> I like that. I, I mistakenly remembered this is the one where uh, like he hits the button and it doesn't stop oh, right. the timer. It's like mission accomplished or whatever. Yeah. But that's Ghost Protocol. It doesn't matter. But uh, they have good comedic moments in all of the films after three three is more just like like a stomach gut it rem actually reminds me of galaxy quest right where it's like the but the thing has to stop oh, at yeah. one second because that's just what <laughs> always happened in those old shows yeah. so <laughs> yeah you know what they could have done instead of the love story is just ask jeremy renner to show up as a doctor in that fucking thing and mm -hmm. it worked better honestly maybe i wonder if he'll be back any of the future ones i know he's had his own accident well, now, here recently I so did you watch that documentary uh, no i've seen clips of it online though oh my god which is like what's he, crazy he's about... very lucky to be alive let's just put it that way well yes it's a it's a literally a miracle but what's really fucking crazy about that dude is like a month later he's trying to learn how to walk again mm -hmm. there's something he's like arnold there's something about him that doesn't seem real because of his whatever power of positivity, whatever right, is right. going on in the way he's genetically designed in the brain. And so that was one big takeaway. We were watching it as a family and uh, as harrowing as it is, he's just like, how is this happening? How do they have like a three month cut? And he's like walking around his house and hosting barbecues. Yeah, and we're just yeah. like, this, this shouldn't be possible. Like normal human beings would still be in traction and like being consultant, whether they're able to walk again. And this guy's like, paralysis, fuck it. I'm just going to train myself to use this muscle that has been severed. I had to take nerves from another mm -hmm. part of my body and you're like uh, okay yeah you're <laughs> sure, Hawkeye, why i not? guess you're the least respected superhero but you're the <laughs> only one who can actually pull this off right like it's crazy you're the guy who shoots bows and arrows who cares 
We are done here. All right. So the machine has said we have to wrap things up here. So let's get into Critics' Choice. This is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time this film was released. I will say, because it was such an outpouring of positivity for this movie, it's actually really hard to find a negative review for this one. But for our positive review, I'm going to Adam Kempinar from fellow podcasters over on Film Spotting, who uh, wrote, F. Scott Fitzgerald said, action is character, which, if true, means that Ethan Hunt is the most complex movie character of all time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And I get to read Richard Brody from The New Yorker. So, of course, he's a sourpuss, Richard. The problem with constructing a movie as one long making of sequence is that, if it's a movie as inert as this one, it doesn't so much answer the question, how was it made, as pose another one altogether. Why? Uh, he is a sourpuss. Yeah, That's crazy. Sounds, uh, sounds a little like you sometimes, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's like when you give me a hard time about expecting more from quote-unquote camp movies, yeah. you know, B movies. It's like, well, you know, I didn't want to watch it in the first place, uh-huh. so... Dave, do you think this holds up and is it still culturally relevant? It definitely holds up. Culturally relevant for action movies is harder, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, this is the hardest question for me because I think it holds up. I have fun with this, but it is definitely not my favorite Mission Impossible movie. mm -hmm. I would even go so far as to say, I don't know if there's any like iconic, iconic sequences from this movie. Like I would say like the Burj Khalifa holds more sway in my mind. Yeah. The, yeah. again, I keep going back to the opera sequence holds more, even like the first film when he almost hits the floor. So yeah. I don't know. I yeah. don't know if there is cultural relevance. Yeah, we talk one. a lot about the bathroom sequence, but you know, you're probably more going to talk like, the like Old Boys referenced all the time, right? Like as far as uh, different ways to show action. Yeah, I'm willing to say no. I'm also, you know, the other thing that I'm going to take a minus point, I'm kind of tired of nuclear Armageddon yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah. I I don't want a coronavirus one, so I don't know what makes the stakes so high, but it's so like 1960s Cold War paranoia and, you know, we don't want an environmentalism one, I guess, you know, like we're going to increase climate change. Yeah, (laughs) it's this hard thing, right? Because for any of these movies, again, for like Jason Bourne, James Bond, Mission Impossible, like you have to have the stakes high enough for it to make sense that they're even on this mission in the first place. Yeah. But also, it's also the Star Wars problem, whereas if you get it too big, then it's like, okay, but you blow up this planet, and that's not a good thing, but I don't know anyone who lives on that planet. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like we're going to yeah. blow up Jaraxa. I'm like, uh, okay, what's Jaraxa? I don't know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> whereas yeah. it's like, we're going to blow up this entire country. Not That's not a good thing, but also it's like, it's almost too big for the human mind to contextualize about what you're even talking about. I just realized that is why every apocalyptic science fiction film always shows aliens with kids isn't it yeah because there's no other way to empathize with it there really isn't uh anyways death to jaraxa is what i'm trying to say (laughs) yeah you're right i mean i think uh i think the cultural themes because i don't like the romance plot and uh yeah i would i can remember so many other parts of all the other mission impossible films and this one's like i can remember some of it but Mm. I even thought a comedy bit was in this film. It was actually in mm-hmm. a different one. And yeah, well, I can say a uh, question mark. No. Yeah, sure. Still good though. I yeah. still watch it. Um, yeah. 
We need to rate this film, but before we do, that's what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what are you going to give Mission Call Impossible M Dash Fallout? Uh, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go down to a four. Whoa, hater yeah. over here. What a hater. I know, I know. I just, you know, the ending, and I know I'm bagging on it too much, and it's not about Michelle Monaghan as a human being, but I just, I'm just so tired, so tired mm-hmm. of that storyline, and I just really think it took the wind out of the sails. Uh, I'm also giving it a four, uh, so strong, but watch it again. But uh, yeah, there's a few of the other films from this series that I would always put on probably first before I dip yeah. into this one again. Which I'm going to do. I, I almost want to watch them in reverse order because I started with this one and just watch uh-huh. like it in reverse order for the new one that's coming out. But I mean, Rogue Nation has the underwater scene. Yeah. That probably, again, probably told James Cameron to like two and a half, three minutes or something. And then Kate Winslet yeah. blew it out of the water. So, <laughs> you know, I realized like the whole time I thought the other girl was going to be Kate Winslet. I'm like, she sounds a lot like Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I was like, Kate Winslet's not even really in this movie. Yeah. She's like, for like why did she hold her in breath minutes. that long? I, like, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's just other than bragging rights. It's bragging you know? rights because super weird. That, that's that's the comparison. Tom Cruise is like like moving and acting and like holding his breath and doing all this stuff. And Kate Winslet was really just sitting and holding her breath underwater. Just still, see how long it impressive. Can do. I just want to say it's still impressive, but it's a bit oh, different. It's crazy. Yeah, world record. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's only going to tie with one other film. So do you think we put this above or below Black Panther? I would put it above. I mean, I I like Black Panther, but. I think I have too much Marvel fatigue at this point, so. I also like it a bit better than Black Panther. Like, here's the thing. Black Panther has far more cultural relevance than this movie does. But I always go back, like, this movie leaves me feeling in such a better mood because I always feel, like, Mm. so let down by that last action sequence in Black Panther. Where it's, like, it's five people fighting in a field. Like, that's all this movie is. Right? Like, that. The what's that guy's the director? Oh my god, Steve, Ryan Steve Coogler McQueen? is the director. Ryan Coogler, sorry, yeah. You know, all of the when he's got two characters on the screen, or you know, he's just building this tension, and then his uh lens as far as trying to get uh black actors in front of mm-hmm. people as heroes, beautiful, great. But that last part on the soundstage in Marvel is annoying, and also, yeah, I'm just I don't know. I haven't. I don't want to watch Marvel movies did, anymore. Did Black man. Panther actually jump out of the back of a plane? He didn't. <laughs> he didn't. Boom! So Mic drop. That is Mic going drop. to enter into our list at the new number five position. Does this make us racist? No, because oh. it's going to go above Black Panther and below Roma. So that's that's where that's going to feature. Let's find out what we're watching next week. I'm going to push this button. Oh, th- this is going to be our kind of like palate cleanser before we like watch a bunch more of like the big summer action films. Okay. I'm going to be very curious what you think about this movie. We're going to watch Blind Spotting, a very small mm. film about race relations. That's in part what oh. this movie's about. Okay. Um, it is, just to blow the surprise, this is my favorite film from 2018. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Like I liked wow. it that much. Stakes are high. And, okay. uh. I could see possibly a scenario where Dave hates this movie a lot, but we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. I've never actually heard of this film. No, I know. No one has. It's a very small Ah. film, but I really, really enjoy it. Okay. I will uh, get the knives out. 
Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Ready to give you a hard time about it? What uh, What next, Dave? What next? Um, when right. We need to uh, determine if we are, in fact, in the right multiversal timeline or not. Because uh, I think that's where the story went, right? That's we right. went on trend to the multiverse uh, world. Well, let's see. Let's uh, let's go to the bathtub here, and we'll see how long we can hold our breath. I am not breath. going into a bathtub. <laughs> let's, with, yeah, let's, uh, let's see how much. But listen, uh, when you're done, <laughs> I'll check on you in like right. eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Dave. We should kill all the women.